0: A lot I know about God. I know that He loves me. I know that He loves me so much that He sent His Son to save me. I know that He wants to give me this abundantly more life, and I know that the cross is the center of having faith in Jesus. I feel myself having an internal battle of what I know to be true and the things I don't understand. I know that God loves me; that He's always loved me. I know that God sent His Son to save me. I know that my sins are forgiven. But in the back of my mind, there's still something that eats away at me. Why? Why did Jesus have to die? Why did he have to die so horribly? Why was he branded a criminal and beaten and hung there? Why did Jesus have to die on a cross? Why did he have to die in such a cruel and inhumane way? Did he have to die the death of a criminal? Why did Jesus have to die? Why did Jesus have to die? Well, good morning. Thanks so much for joining us. My name is Jeff Mickey. I'm on staff here at Orchard Hill Church. And um, I just want to say we have a problem. Uh, It's not that I didn't get the memo about the maroon sweater and everything that the colors that Jen and Doug were wearing. That's a problem. I don't know. I I am on the team, even though I'm not wearing the colors this morning. Um, No, we have another problem. And uh, it's a problem that actually nobody really wants to talk about. And when we do talk about this problem. Actually, a lot of people tend to just stop listening. Um, We describe the problem in a lot of different ways. Uh, mostly, it tends to sort of minimize this problem. Um, I don't know if it's because we misunderstand it or we just don't care that much, um, but it's, it's a problem. I think the best way to actually uh, share with you about this problem is to share a picture with you. And it's actually a picture of uh, a gal named Chantel Byer and her boyfriend. Isn't that an incredible picture? They're, they're out on this African safari out in the wild and they come across these two white rhinos. Those things are like massive. They're like 4,000 pounds each. That's two tons each for those of you who are doing the math at home, just trying to help the kids out who aren't in school right now. Um, that, that's, that's a lot of weight. It's an incredible picture. Their wildlife expert, their, their, their guide who was with them, actually lured these white rhinos in so that they could get this picture, told Chantel, her boyfriend, hey, hop out of the Jeep. I'm going to snap this picture. And then seconds after this picture was taken, one of those white rhinos charges at Chantel and it pierces that big horn through her back. It actually comes out her chest, and it crushed her ribs, and it punctured her lung. It was awful. I think Train actually wrote a song about this. Uh, It was something like, She went down in an airplane, fried getting suntan, go by a rhino, all for an Instagram. Help me, help me, I'm no good at good. Okay, I, I know I shouldn't sing. I also probably shouldn't joke, but I do want you to know that Chantel did survive this. She was, ended up being okay. But can you imagine that big horn just puncturing your back, coming out the other side of your chest, your lung just collapsing? It's awful. And yet this is a great picture of the problem that I'm talking about. And that problem is sin. How we just kind of snuggle up next to it, how it lures us in, and then Bam bad things, right? Even more important is is our problem with how we minimize the seriousness of sin. And we look around and we see what COVID-19, what this virus is doing to our world right now. And yet COVID-19 can't hold a candle to the contagious nature and the destructive power of sin. And when we minimize the seriousness of sin, death stalks us like a two-ton rhinoceros. We're wrapping up this series on why Jesus had to die, why the cross. And central to the message is this idea that when we minimize the seriousness of sin, we diminish the message of the cross. I don't know what it's like for you right now, uh, living at home, being confined to spend most of your time and energy uh, in the same space with the same small group of family members day after day, but uh, it has a tendency in our house to expose a few flaws, maybe. Uh, I'm talking about flaws in me, not flaws in the rest of my family. I, I had to get groceries the other day. I had to go around a grocery run. So I asked my my boys before I left, hey, do you need anything? And No, oh, we're good. Everything's good, everything. So I go to the grocery store. I'm getting the essentials and everything. I come to the frozen foods, picking up some things. I find some meals. There's a couple frozen meals that I really like. I thought, oh, those look good. I'll grab those. I'll be able to, you know, eat those after work or whatever. Come home. I, I put everything away. I get everything in the freezer. I go to work for a couple hours, and I come back around dinner time. I'm really looking forward to this frozen meal. And you know where this story's going, don't you? <laughs> yeah, I, I opened the freezer. Both meals, both of them are gone. Evidently, they looked like a great post-workout snack for my boys. Now, I'd like to say that, um, that I was just thankful to have two healthy young men living in my home with me. I'd like to say that I was thankful that I had other options in the freezer, in the fridge, and in the cupboard. But no. I was ticked, right? And and these angry, selfish words just kind of bubbled up from within me and they they came pouring out of me. They had totally ruined my dinner plans. Oh, you know, it's just stress. Oh, that was just poor communication. No, this was sin. It's in my heart. And if if it's left alone, if it's left unchecked, it will consume me. And it will destroy my relationships and everything else good in its path. But isn't this what we do? We tend to minimize the seriousness of sin. We convince ourselves that we can actually manage our own sin. And when we convince ourselves of this, that we can manage sin, things start to get really messy. Because frankly, you know, we tend to think, I can manage my sin a lot better than you manage your sin. And what we start to do, we start to compare and we start to rank each other's sins, which are really just a symptom of the bigger problem, sin. And so we devise all these rating scales and and explain what things might be okay and and when and in small doses and which things we need to avoid altogether. I don't know if you know this, but People Magazine actually put together a sin a few years ago. They, They decided to rank the sins. And for example, cutting in line, like on a scale of of 1 to 10, cutting in line was like right in the middle at 5. It was ranked a worse sin than divorce, premarital sex, pornography, and gossip. I don't know if your list looks the same. Maybe you would rank some things a little bit differently. I want to point out, nude sunbathing, pretty okay, just 2.76. So as the coronavirus moves forward and we're restricted, you know, Maybe nude sunbathing, not that bad. Just make sure if you go to Ed and Sally Baker's, you don't just wander into their backyard they don't answer the front door. Uh, readers also estimate, who read, read this, uh, this article, they also estimated how often do they sin. They estimated that they sin on average 4.64 times a month. That's right, just 4.6 times a month. Uh, I was talking this morning, somebody said, I think i do that in my dreams before I wake up in the morning, um, probably before lunch anyway. Newsweek actually published another report that compared, uh, you know, who's the most, what is the most sinful state in the United States? They compared it on 47 different immoral behaviors from, from violent crimes to excessive drinking and gambling. Can you guess? There it is. What's number one? Nevada, number one. Of course, those sinners in Florida and Texas and California, right behind them. How are you feeling about Iowa right now? There it is. The most sinful state, or the the least sinful state is Vermont. Iowa ranked 44th. So we're the seventh least sinful state in the union. That's pretty good, huh? I mean, like if you live in Iowa and you don't cut in line, you're killing it with sin. Way to go, Iowa. We kind of chuckle at this because it's pretty absurd. But it actually says a lot about how we view sin. And we see sin as these specific actions or these misdeeds, maybe, maybe three or four, maybe five a month. And mine aren't nearly as bad as some of the others on the list. And this is an inaccurate view of sin. It misses the mark. Part of this, I think, comes from the way we read or maybe we don't read the Bible. Uh, I want you to listen to what the prophet Jeremiah actually writes about sin. And this is in the Old Testament. Jeremiah says this, he says, Though you wash yourself with lye and you use much soap, the stain of your guilt is still before me, says the Lord God. You can wash yourself, you can try to clean up, but your guilt, your sin, the stain can't be removed. This is why people loved Jeremiah so much. He was always bringing these uplifting messages just kidding. They actually hated Jeremiah. because This wasn't the good news that they wanted to hear from God. But this was a message from God. And not just to individuals, but to the entire nation of Israel. The you, Jeremiah, is using is plural. And what God is saying through Jeremiah to the entire nation of Israel is, Listen. Sin isn't about an individual person's misdeeds or or how guilty someone feels. Sin has marked you, every one of you. You all are guilty, whether you feel it or not. And it's not something you can rid yourself of. No matter how hard you try to to clean yourself up, no matter how hard you try to rub away, you might be able to wash your hands and wash your clothes and get you rid of the, the COVID 19 virus, but you won't get rid of sin no matter how hard you try. When we read the Bible, it doesn't take long to see that sin is more than an individual's bad behavior, that that God declares entire communities guilty of sin collectively. And there is some really, really harsh judgment. God is serious about sin. Sin has infected all of us, whether we realize it or not. Over and over, God's people get sucked in. They get lured away by these ideas of this great picture of being captured in front of these white rhinos, and yet they're powerless to escape the consequences and the bondage of sin. And we are no different. Sin is the cruelest of slave masters. It causes us to do its bidding. When we minimize the seriousness of sin, we diminish our need for a Savior. God is serious about sin. And God is even more serious about setting us free from sin. And we see this in one of the greatest stories in Israel's history. It's it's the story of the Passover where God dramatically intervenes and he rescues his people from slavery at the hands of one of the most evil rulers of all time, Pharaoh, the king of the Egyptians. The Passover is a story of how God initiated his plan to rescue people from the slavery to Pharaoh and to lead them to freedom and and a new life in this promised land. And every year when Christians are are getting ready to celebrate Easter, Jewish people are gathering to celebrate the Passover. And these are Passover dinners, the Seder meal, And, and at these dinners, the metaphors present in these dinners actually summarize the core of the Jewish faith. There's no greater use of metaphors in the Jewish tradition. They highlight and they celebrate the story of rescue from slavery, as well as the formation of a relationship with God as he led his people through the wilderness to the promised land. But the story of the Passover is actually more than this for us. Right? The Passover is actually a metaphor for the cross. It foreshadows the day that God would ultimately free us from being slaves to sin. Jesus' death on the cross is the new Passover, And his resurrection is our exodus. So we need to pay attention to this story from Israel's history. Because it can help us gain a deeper understanding and appreciation for why Jesus had to die on the cross. The word metaphor literally means to carry us beyond. And what we hope has been happening as we've gone over these four metaphors of the cross in four weeks in this series is that it's actually deepened our understanding of the fullness of the message of the cross and that it's carrying us beyond our life here and now to a greater life with God where he can unleash more power of the cross in our lives. You know, Adam and Eve sinned. They ate from the tree God told them not to and therefore they missed the mark that God had set for them in the garden and they were sent away from the garden and things got much worse for humanity after that but God never abandoned his plan to rescue his people. In fact, God invited Abraham to follow him to a new place. He told him, I'll give you a big family, and I'll give you a new land. And you know what? You're actually gonna be the people who I bless the world through. And Abraham's family does grow, and it ends up in Egypt, but it ends up brutally enslaved. And then God hears the cries for mercy from his people. And he sends Moses and says, I want you to free my people. So Moses goes to Pharaoh And he says, let my people go. And Pharaoh kind of scoffed at him like you're doing at me right now, sinners. But Pharaoh says, God who? He's like, what are you talking about? And instead of freeing the people, Pharaoh actually made things worse for the people. He looked at Moses and says, you just just made a big mistake. And so he doubles their work, and and he doubles and increases their punishment and their beatings. And so Moses goes back to God, and he says, hey, your plan, your plan, it backfired, man. It went way wrong. And God repeats his promise to Moses, and he says, now you're going to see what I, the Lord, will do to Pharaoh. And here's his words. He says, therefore, Moses, go and say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and mighty acts of judgment. And then God does it. He sends plague after plague, chance after chance, for Pharaoh to let his people go. Frogs, gnats, flies, mad cow disease, boils, hail, fire from the sky, locusts. I mean, at what point do you say, yeah, maybe God's serious, about saving his people. Nine severe judgments against this king of oppression and slavery. God is serious about saving his people from slavery. God shows mercy for the Israelites and he enacts his justice against Pharaoh, the personification of sin. Pharaoh simply digs in deeper. And so God tells Moses, hey, tell these people, tell your people, take a lamb, one for every household, and slaughter it. And take the blood of that lamb and and spread it all around the door frame to your house and then go inside and eat that lamb with some unleavened bread and then get ready. Be in a hurry because you're about to leave Egypt first thing in the morning. And God says at night, when night comes, He's going to send death through Egypt, and it will strike down the firstborn of every living family, including the animals. But wherever the houses have this blood of the lamb on their door frames, death will just pass over. So this this final plague will not touch God's people. Now don't miss this. Don't miss this. Last week, Jesse taught about how the blood of Jesus, it purifies us and it washes away our sin. But this blood, the blood of the Passover lamb, does something different. It's a metaphor for something more. It didn't purify the people. It didn't wash away their sin. This blood protected them from death. The blood of the Passover lamb was used to keep God's people alive. The next day, they will march out of the city and begin their exodus, following God to freedom through the wilderness as he tries to form them into a family through which he can bless the world as he leads them to the promised land. Right in the middle of this story, a strange little deal is God actually gives Moses these instructions for uh, throwing a dinner party. Uh, It's complete with butchering instructions and baking recipes. Um, And then he says this to Moses. He says, this is a day you are to commemorate. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. In other words, every year for as long as there are Jewish people, you need to host this party to remember and celebrate the Passover. Passover. Now fast forward several hundred years, and Jesus appears on the scene, and and John the Baptist is telling another group of oppressed, broken people, get ready, you're ready, the kingdom of God is very near. And then he sees Jesus walking towards him one day, and he says, look, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And the people who heard this would have been Jesus, the, the Lamb of God, What does Jesus have to do with this with Passover and the Lamb of God? And what what are you talking about? I think what John is actually saying is look, God has sent us the Passover Lamb. Not just a Passover lamb, but his own. The Lamb of God. Because you see, sin is way more powerful way more punishing and enslaving than Pharaoh ever was. So sacrificing any old lamb or making any kind of offering that we might try to make to God simply won't cut it. But look, God is providing for us. God is providing a way. He is giving us the ultimate Passover lamb who will rescue us from slavery, who will offer us protection from its deadly consequences, So that we can join God on this journey and be formed into a family with God and to follow him into freedom and into new life, into a new land with him. Without this blood of the Lamb of God, we simply don't have this freedom or this protection that's needed to make this journey. But John says, look, here he comes now. And yet it seems as though sin, like Pharaoh, doesn't flinch. Sin is still very much a part of our broken world. We we look around, it's still a powerful contagion. So what was John talking about? Sin has not been removed from the world. And it won't be until Jesus returns. But Jesus' blood on the cross does redeem us. God's judgment for our sin now passes over all who receive this Lamb of God and the covering of his blood. Jesus' blood poured out on the cross saves us from death, the consequence of our sin. Jesus is the perfect Lamb, the ultimate Passover Lamb who redeems us with outstretched arms with mighty acts of judgment against sin and with miracles of mercy for his people. And in doing this, he removes the yoke of slavery. In using Passover as a metaphor for the cross, I hope that we can begin to see Jesus' death saves us from our death by spiritually covering us, making his blood over us so that God's judgment will pass over our sin. But the Passover also marked the entrance to Exodus, heading out into the wilderness with God, learning to trust God and be part of his family so that he can bless the world through us. The Exodus then is a metaphor for Jesus' resurrection. Where he invites us to do the same, to take this journey with him. Where we will walk through the wilderness. And it will include open spaces. It will include mountaintop experiences and streams. But it will also include valleys and darkness and hardship. Where God teaches us to trust him. To keep following him. To keep fighting and looking for and living into his promises. And this life that Jesus ultimately promises to give us. And we are to celebrate that. We are to remember that on a regular basis, just like the Jews, the Jewish people, are, are to celebrate Passover. God asks us to, to mark this as well. And, and Jesus gave us something to do this with. You remember what Jesus was doing the, the last night, the, the night that he spent when he was betrayed, and he was spending the night with the disciples? He was celebrating the Passover. And that's not a coincidence. God's timing was intentional. And Jesus took the unleavened bread, and he broke it. And he gave this to his disciples. He said, take this. is my body, which is broken for you. Take this and eat. And then he took the cup, the cup of wine that was sitting on the, on the table, and he just said, he gave his father thanks, and he said, I want you to take this cup. This is a cup of a new covenant, a new promise from my father. It's the cup of my blood, which is poured out as an offering for forgiveness of your sins. It's that covering you need. Take this and drink it. And what did he say when he said, take this and drink it? He said, do this and remember me. And I don't think Jesus is saying, you know, when you have communion at church, you know, um, I'd really like it if you just recall this story and you think, man, Jesus, wasn't he awesome? Wasn't that a great story? Gosh, I wish I could have been there. I think Jesus is saying, remember that I am with you right here and right now i am with this body of believers this family i'm working to free you to give you this covering so that you can go out and help others find this freedom and this covering so that you can journey with me to new life in my kingdom so what does this mean for us today like how do we how do we apply this passover metaphor in our lives today three quick things First, I would encourage you to accept Jesus' offer to save your life from the consequences of sin by asking him to simply cover your life with the blood of his sacrifice. Instead of minimizing your sin, make more of Jesus. Instead of minimizing your sin, make more of Jesus and his offering for you. See how serious he is about saving you and setting you free. You can simply say to Jesus, you know, I I believe you are the Passover lamb. I believe that it's by your sacrifice on the cross and that alone that I am saved from death. Jesus, will you cover me? And will you lead me? As you provide this protection, will you lead me into a greater relationship with God and with God's family? Help me to lean into your promises and to trust you and to walk with you into this life of freedom and abundance of life that you promised me. Second thing, sweep away the sin. You know, one of the, the, the traditions that the Jewish people have during the Passover is that they were told to get rid of all the yeast in their house. And so they would spend the first day of the week sweeping out the yeast out of their house. And yeast is often used as a metaphor for sin. In fact, Jesus talked about how a small amount will will work its way into the whole dough, right? It causes the whole dough to be infected by this this yeast. The same way, a little bit of sin can contaminate our entire lives. And so Jesus says, sweep away the sin. Don't minimize it. With the help of the Holy Spirit and with God's grace, we can ask God to actually reveal sin in our lives that we need to sweep away. We can confess it to God and confidently know that he's going to offer us forgiveness, that there's not punishment or judgment because, again, the Passover lamb covers us from that punishment. So we can thank him for that forgiveness. God wants to work with us to sweep the sin out of our lives. And finally, I want to encourage you, eat the Passover lamb. What's that mean? Well, the Passover is actually a meal. Uh, the Jewish people actually eat it. Friends and family, they come together and they share in this meal. They'll eat like bitter herbs and horseradish so that they can be reminded of the bitterness of slavery. The roasted shank bone represents uh, the Passover lamb. They eat the metaphor. And we need to do the same with Jesus. When he was tempted in the desert, he said that man doesn't live by bread alone, but by the word of God. So when we engage the Bible and interact with it, we consume Jesus. When we put into our minds and into our hearts, it matters for our lives. It it affects the way we think and live. When we pray and when we listen to God, we ingest his spirit into our lives. So take him in. Let the Passover and Exodus be a metaphor that carries you to a deeper understanding of Jesus and his death on the cross and the power of his resurrection. That God might unleash that power into your lives today. Will you pray with me? God, you are a God who is set and determined to rescue us to rescue us from being enslaved, to the sin that lures us away and promises amazing experiences, and yet leads us right to the threshold of death, and sometimes across it. Thank you for sending Jesus to be our Passover lamb. Lord, to cover us so that we can be protected from this threat of death, for inviting us to take this journey with you. Lord, even though we walk through dark valleys, you are with us. Lord, that you, all of your promises, you are a, have an undefeated record of being able to deliver on your promises. Help us to, to be people who are willing to engage with your word so we can learn more about these promises for our lives so that we can trust you for these promises and we can walk with you as you make us more your family and we can become more of a blessing to the world around us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.